I was donating blood to my school blood drive. I was a senior in high school. And a couple weeks after that, I got a letter back from the agency that was running the blood drive that said that my blood couldn't be accepted because it tested positive for the hepatitis C virus. So this was a total like out of left field. I thought I was, you know, I'd worked hard in school. I was just going to be having a carefree senior year. And then all of a sudden I get this letter that, that says like, you might have a potentially life-threatening virus. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is Jess Dang, founder of CookSmart's online meal planning service. Jess started CookSmart's in 2012 to help families live healthier lives feel empowered and inspired in the kitchen, and to lighten the mental load of meal planning. Jess and I chat about content creation and the five-step approach that she takes in creating content for CookSmarts that you could apply to your own business. And she's really the perfect guest to be chatting about content creation since it's really what her business is built around. Chris and I are actually signing up for a 30-day free trial of CookSmarts, so we'll have to keep you updated on how that goes. If you're also interested in a trial, head on over to CookSmarts.com to check it out. Be sure to check out the show notes at DaveyandKrista.com for the resources as we mentioned during the episode, and I want to hear from you. Let us know what kind of content that you'd like to see on the Brands That Book podcast as we move forward. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davy and Krista Facebook page and send us a message or DM us on Instagram at Davy and Krista. Now, on to the episode. All right, welcome to another episode of the Brands That Book Show. I have Jess Dang here with me of cooksmarts.com. And I'm excited to chat with Jess because Jess is probably our first cook, that sort of industry guest on the show. And there's a number of reasons that I was interested in chatting with you, Jess, not only because I want to pick your brain about content, but also because meal planning is just like the bane of my existence. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can give me a a few tips as we dive into the episode. Definitely. Yes. Everybody's got to eat. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like I said, just uh, as a reminder for the audience, we'll be chatting about content creation. And uh, I love how you kind of described your industry before we actually hit record here. You said you were a CAS business. So to play off of uh, SaaS software as a business, you are a content as a service business. And I hadn't really thought about that or thought about it that way in terms of what you do. So I'm excited just to hear you know, how you go about creating content on such a consistent basis. And then of course, disseminating that content and how content has played a role in building CookSmarts. But before we get into all that, share a little bit about you know how you started CookSmarts and a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. So I started CookSmarts back in 2012. I was in the corporate world for almost a decade. I was a real spreadsheet nerd. I love numbers. I love manipulating numbers. I'm all about efficiency. But I turned 30 in 2011 and then at that point decided that I was going to quit my job and start this totally crazy other venture. So that's kind of the short story, but the kind of the Original origin of CookSmarts really started actually way, way long ago when I was 17. Um, This was back in 1999. 
And I was donating blood to my school blood drive. I was a senior in high school. And a couple weeks after that, I got a letter back from the agency that was running the blood drive that said that my blood couldn't be accepted because it tested positive for the hepatitis C virus. Mm. So this was like, a total like out of left field. I thought I was, you know, I'd worked hard in school. I was just going to be having a carefree senior year. And then all of a sudden I get this letter that that says like, you might have a potentially life-threatening virus. And that kind of led me on a whole crazy health journey that was pretty hard at times. But kind of long story short, I went through, you know, went to see a lot of doctors, went through a lot of testing. And they determined that I was at the point where my liver was damaged enough that I would need to go through chemotherapy, basically. I found out through all this that I had gotten the virus actually as a baby and through a blood transfusion. So I'd lived with it all my life and just never knew. And yeah, it was one of those things that all of a sudden I was a 17-year-old, thought I was going to be going to college, but instead dealing with all these doctor's visits and thinking about like what treatment was going to be like. So I went through a year of treatment, you know, gave myself shots, lots of medicine, and it resulted in all sorts of crazy symptoms like hair loss, fatigue, anxiety. And it was a rough year where I felt like I just did not have control of my life. And I was really lucky at the end of the year, they deemed me cure, the virus was undetectable. And they said, you know, Jess, just go like live life as a normal teenager at this point. And, you know, I just wasn't ready to do that. I just felt like, you know, I felt like, I didn't believe in the good news. And so it just took me a while to kind of get over that. And I said to myself, like, if I live to see the age of 30, I am going to do something to help other people live healthier. And yeah, so, you know, no surprise, I did live to see 30. I'm 38 now. And so, yeah, I've had eight years of creating Cook Smarts and really creating a place that help other people live healthier. And it's been really just an amazing journey. Yeah. And so is that odd for that not to have been found like for basically 18 years, right? It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, there can be some latency to the virus. I think starting in high school, like late high school, I was starting to feel like not great at times. They kept testing me for mono because I was always so tired. I was a varsity runner my sophomore year, but then my junior year, I just like couldn't get back into those times. I was just really tired. And so, yeah. And then it was just no one had thought like, why would a 17 year old kid have hepatitis C? That's not like the prime demographic for it. And so we just hadn't thought like, oh, I didn't even know I had a blood transfusion yeah. when I was a baby. So it wasn't one of the things that came up, you know, back then blood just wasn't tested for it. And now, you know, of course, everything is tested very well. But it was one of those things where the virus, there was not a lot known about it. There weren't even a lot of treatment options. And nowadays there are. So that's really great news for folks that are going through that now. But yeah, it was a totally just crazy experience for me. So did your diet play into kind of the recovery uh, of that? I mean, I know you mentioned that chemotherapy and I imagine that th there's no diet out there that would cure hepatitis C. No. But at the same time, I think a, a diet can do pretty incredible things. So is that part of the reason that you started Cook Smarts or is that kind of how you got into, you know, just a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, I think for me, really like after going through that experience, you're just so much more in tune with your health and your body and what it like how to care for it. And after you go through something so physical, that's like both like physical and emotionally, mentally draining like that, you just want to do everything that you can to, you know, to care for yourself. And so for me, I in my early 20s, I really got into cooking. I just was and I have always loved to eat. And so cooking really was that next step. And I've always loved teaching, too. So after all of that, even though I had this corporate job, I always had a side hustle that revolved around 
food as well. So I had a catering company. I featured in people's homes. I ran a separate club out of my San Francisco apartment at the time. Uh, I even actually tried out for season two of the next Food Network star and actually got on. So I did compete against Guy Fieri. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. So I was just like, so food was just always a part of my life. And you know, I really just loved feeding people. I've always been someone that just like loves to nurture in that way. When I left my corporate job and when I turned 30 to start Cooksmarts, Cooks, I really had no idea what it was going to be. I just knew that, you know, we've kind of lost this skill of cooking in our lives. You know, we're all so busy, like people and everyone needs to eat. And so I really felt like for me, you know, in terms of helping others create a healthier life, cooking and education was really what I wanted to focus on. So when I started CookSmarts, you know, that was all the idea. I was like, I have this mission that I want to teach people how to cook, but I didn't quite know what the product was going to be. So I actually gave myself like a year of market research to really understand, go into people's homes, teach them how to cook, uh, understand what their challenges were to figure out like what the product or service that I would create to help them achieve that mission. That's awesome. And so as you did this market research, what did you notice that led you to, you know, sort of this meal planning idea around CookSmarts? Yeah. So my initial hypothesis really was like, I'm going to build this online cooking school. But as I went into people's homes, a lot of my students then were, were moms. I taught moms of every socioeconomic class. So I had teenage moms. I teach at a local high school and also more affluent ones as well. And all across the board, everyone actually had the same challenges. Like everyone is really time constrained and knowledge constrained, right? Like nobody feels like they have the time to like grocery shop or like search for recipes and put them together in a cohesive way every single week. And then, you know, even they did, once they got in the kitchen, they just felt like this was not a fun experience because they didn't have that like foundational skill set to execute efficiently, right? Like I would watch some of my students work and I'm like, wow, like this should take like a third of the amount of the time because they just didn't have the knife skills or were, you know, would make a huge mess in the kitchen or their kitchen was not organized in like a really like productive, efficient workflow. <laughs> And so from that, I thought like, okay, like most of these people are not going to have time to go you know, take an online cooking class, but they do need to already cook dinner and there already are meal plan services out there that seem to be working. So let me piggyback on that idea and just really kind of a, put in the value out of the educational component. So that's why, you know, we're not just a meal plan service that offers recipes. We really try to like make you have like a mini cooking lesson every single night. So we use content. So all these like short videos that are very modular, very easy to watch with your kids so that you can learn to chop an onion properly or learn to chop a butternut squash finely. So you're really learning to cook while, you know, making dinner or something you might want to do anyways. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of how I feel, you know, when it comes to dinner time, yes, right? Exactly. And, I, and I actually all through high school and college worked in kitchens and restaurants and stuff like that. And so I feel like I have a, even a, with a little bit of background, but it's just the exhaustion by the end of the day of, okay, what's in the fridge and how should I put all this together? And we kind of default to sort of the same meals week in and week out. And they're not necessarily unhealthy, but there's probably, if we did a little bit of planning in advance, it would probably turn out a little bit better than it does on a nightly basis. Exactly. Yeah. So you are not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. So as far as actually turning it into a, a service, what did that look like? Did you go through kind of any iterations in the in the middle there to get to CookSmarts to where it is today? 
Yeah, definitely. So as soon as I landed on the meal plan service idea, this was about maybe like six months into my market research. I was like, okay, I'm going to build this meal plan service. So I live out in the Bay Area, the heart of Silicon Valley, and there's so many startups around me. And so I thought like, okay, this is the route I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to be the product person, the content person. I need to find a technical co-founder. So I would go on all these founder dates with kind of 20 something male engineers mainly. That's what's mainly available here. And they were just like, yeah, that sounds interesting, but that doesn't sound like, you know, it sounds like a mom product. And I was like, yeah, what's the problem with that? Like moms are the ones making most of the purchasing decisions, you know. And it's not like it's a small market either. You know, it's like weird that you get any pushback. It's like a, this is like a mass market product too, you know? Exactly. Like everybody has to eat. And so after going on maybe like two months of these like founder dates that I felt like were not going anywhere, no one was really understanding my vision. I decided that like, you know what, I'm going to learn to code. I'm going to figure this out and do it myself. (laughs) So I think that was kind of a silly idea in hindsight, but it worked. I went to a, one of my coding workshops that I went to, I met this other woman who had also just turned 30 and was making a big career change. She was our editor in her previous life. And so the two of us decided, you know, we're going to do this together. She wanted a portfolio project to then, you know, show to software companies to get a job as a software developer. So we joined forces for, and over the course of about five months, we learned to code and then just like jammed it all together and went live (laughs) in May of 2013. And that first version was not, you know, it wasn't everything I wanted, but it was a start. And over that, those six months that I was, you know, building it, I had also started building up our email newsletter list. So I was already giving away, kind of building up that like, you know, understanding that we were going to be offering meal plans. I was giving away meal plans for free. Of course, using Excel, they were so ugly then. It was awful. But, you know, it was getting the product out there and we were getting good feedback. And then when we went live, we had a list of people that were, you know, already we already kind of knew us as like, you know, people that were offering meal plans. So we were able to sell to customers immediately on day one. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I mean, do you feel like you learned a lot, even though you were delivering a product in a way that you probably weren't super happy with? You know, you had mentioned that Excel, you know, a little clunky, especially probably back in 2013. So not the prettiest way to deliver stuff, but you're still connecting with people who are interested in your product and you're still getting feedback. So, I mean, did you feel like that was a valuable experience in continuing to build out the CookSmarts? Yeah, I was. I mean, honestly, like there's so much power in your email list, right? So like really building an email list out. And when I think about it in hindsight, that was my biggest mistake is I think I was afraid to build the email list faster because I was worried people would be upset going from a free product to a paid product. But then now I'm thinking like, if some people don't sign up, that's not, that's fine. Like, nope, it's not going to be, you know, the end of the world. And people were getting a product for free. And if anything, I should have been really focusing more on building that email list out. But yeah, you know, when I look back, you just have to start somewhere. And we got so much valuable feedback and it just gave me practice, right? So like I wasn't professional meal planner before this. I was someone, you know, I was in the corporate world. I really, I had a lot of understanding of cooking, but I didn't actually have any meal planning background. Like I would plan meals for myself, but just by practicing, like making myself do it every single week and getting something out there because I had, you know, decided that like, that's what we were going to do. We were just getting better. So by the time we launched, I, you know, I had at least like six months of meal planning experience behind me. And, you know, now I've got, you know, eight years worth, but yeah, it was really important to just get going and start doing something. I think so many people, especially if, if you're listening and you're just getting started with something, there is nothing like, 
don't wait until you have something perfect. I think in some, in some cases, you'll just never end up launching, but you know, it takes time to get to my guess too is that just with the information that you learned along the way in some of these, these early days impacted how you ended up building the product. Would that be? Yeah. Yeah. So had you never done that, you would have missed out on all this great experience and then ended up building something that potentially wouldn't have fulfilled the needs that people had to fill or how they, you know, how they use cook smarts today. I think that's so important and such a good lesson for people who are, who are out there getting started. I do kind of want to shift the conversation now towards, you know, kind of how content played a role in building cook smarts. I mean, there's an obvious aspect to it, of course. I mean, each week you're releasing meal plans, but this is the kind of thing that you kind of need to work at scale, mm-hmm. you know, in order for it to make sense to you or for you. So how did you build the user base and community up around CookSmarts to kind of make it into what it is today? Yeah. So I think for us, we did not have, like for me, I was very much a product person. I like, I understood what the product needed to be, but I did not have a good understanding of marketing. That was really good. And I still don't feel like I have a great understanding of marketing, which is why I love your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, I've, I really thought through like, you know, how do we get the word out without a lot of money? Cause that's, I did not have a lot of money at that point. You know, i basically taken a year off of work. I've put a lot of money into like building this and there was just not a lot of marketing dollars left. And so I thought like we could start making infographics. Like that's like an easy way to kind of get our brand out there and really put our mission out there. Like we want to be, we want to teach people about cooking. We want to teach people how to meal plan better. We want to get people when they back in the kitchen. And so we really kind of identified different topics that might be of interest to people around cooking and meal planning. And we created infographics around that. And that was like a really cheap way to kind of get our brand out there because it doesn't cost that much money to get a good graphics designer, you know, do some research for what the content should look like and then get a graphics designer. And so that's kind of what we went with. We created these really like pretty shareable graphics that like media outlets wanted to have on BuzzFeed or HuffPost like wanted to put on and it was they were very shareable on social media. And so that's kind of how we started of like really getting the word out there of what CookSmarts was. You know, it's funny because infographics, I think, still work just as well today. You know, I mean, like a good infographic, I think, can transform a blog post, for instance, and all of a sudden, it's just getting a ton more traffic from Pinterest because people are pinning it all over the place and it's linking back to that blog post or whatever. So that's uh, that's fascinating. And I think there's just in the food and, and health space in general, that just seems like such a common tactic too, in order to you know increase like organic traffic to your site. Exactly. Yeah. So what other, you can show up at image searches. It's like good for SEO. Again, like one of our infographics, a guide to enjoying veggies, which I'll talk more about later. You know, we got it on to my fitness pals blog and that resulted in 20,000 new emails for us and people on our email list for us like in like a week. And I got like doubled. I mean, how much did it cost to create that graphic? Probably, you know, I hired like a college intern and paid him like $15 an hour, you know, to create the yeah. content. And then our graphics designer was just an amazing, she was so good. It's funny because in the beginning, I think I'm sure every entrepreneur goes through this where they think like they have to do everything themselves. And I was kind of in that boat. So I was trying to create these graphics. I have no graphics design background. I was like trying to figure out like how to use Adobe Illustrator and think it would take me forever. And finally I was like, okay, maybe I should hire someone. But I was worried. I was like, oh my, is this going to cost a lot of money? And she could literally do what I would take like me a week to do in like 10 minutes. <laughs> and so in the end, I was like, wow, this is like such, this is money well spent. Yeah, I'm sure it took, it cost us like two, $300 to create that graphic and resulted in, you know, 20,000 email signups. 
Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And I'm guessing like you didn't pay for it to be on my fitness pals blog, you know, it just kind of got picked up. It just kind of got picked up. Exactly. We were offering, we were doing kind of a content exchange. We were just offering recipes and different things that they could have on their blog because like yeah. every every outlet is looking for good content. So if you create a good infographic, like people want that on their site because if they share it on their social media, it drives content back to their blog post and then that blog post drives content back to you. So it's kind of like a win-win for everybody. That's just amazing. How do you go about creating content you, that you think people are interested in? Do you have kind of an approach or, or steps that you take in order to create content for yourself and come up with some of these ideas that result in, you know, these infographics that eventually get picked up by other blogs and result in thousands of email addresses? Yeah. So I wish I could give you some like really good like SEO tips of like how I go about our, our research with content marketing. But when I first started, I didn't, I didn't know what SEO was. So I didn't do any SEO research, but we were lucky that like we have basically two channels of member communication. So we really are tapped into our community and are always listening. So I think that really is like kind of that first step is just like to listen to your customers, your clients, your members, your community. Uh, we're not on Instagram. We're not very active on Instagram, but we have a really active Facebook group. And also because of the nature of our product, it's a meal plan service. So there are recipes. People are constantly giving us reviews of the recipes. So those are our two channels for really understanding like what people need in terms of knowledge. So I think that first step is really understanding what your clients or customers gap in knowledge is and how can you fill that with a with an infographic or con, you know a piece of content I think and just in terms of how we create like sort of a list of, of content that we want to vlog about or create YouTube videos about or whatever, simply that I'm on the phone a lot with potential design clients and it's just jotting down questions that they have. You know, what questions do I hear over and over and over again that, you know, eventually it'd just be easier to write a blog post because then during the call, I can say, hey, listen, I'm going to send you a great article about this. Exactly. Or questions on, I mean, it, really anywhere, you know, we speak at a couple of conferences and just typical questions that we get after we speak. But I think if people write those questions down, First, you'll start noting patterns. And second, you'll just never run out of content again. Exactly. Yeah. Just let your customers inform you of what they want. And so in our case, because of the Facebook group, you know, people are always asking questions there. And so it's like, okay, yeah, it's just noting those questions. As soon as a question gets asked, we put it into like a, you know, potential content spreadsheet. And then every year we kind of evaluate like what are the pieces of content that we should really focus on? What are the ones that really kind of kept bubbling up to the top? And so that really informs like that first step. So like identifying the topic. So in one of the examples that I spoke about earlier, the guide to enjoying veggies, like people are always asking about like, how can I get more vegetables in my diet? Like everyone knows <laughs> that vegetables are good for you, but don't really have good understanding. It's like, I can have a salad, I guess, you know, or eating the same like two or three vegetables every week. And so we created this guide to enjoying veggies example. And the way that we do that, our second step is after we decide like, okay, this is the piece of knowledge that we want to, you know, this is the gap in knowledge that we want to fill is we create a spreadsheet. <laughs> I think that's just because my like pass is a spreadsheet nerd. Mm. And, but it's such a great structure for infographics because infographics have to be very organized in terms of like, you know, the content that we're trying to convey. So we find that a spreadsheet is using like cells is actually better than putting it all into a document. So that kind of forces us to really organize our thoughts in a way that's easily then translated into that final output of an infographic. And then the third you know, thing we do is like just do the research. And usually there's someone on our team or sometimes we hired it out to someone that's, you know, focused on that particular piece of content. And they just go and do the research, fill it all in. And then fourth thing, we pass it on to the graphics designer. And then it's just, you know, the iteration process of editing and improving it. And I think it's really important to bring other people into this because I think, you know, 
I'm sure a lot of folks listening are solopreneurs. And I think when you're the only voice in there, like you need other people to like make you better. And I think so much of that like process of improving really involves other people and their input. And so like, like I said, as soon as I hired out a real graphics designer and I brought other people into that process, we were able to create like just much more like valuable and like better looking and more engaging type of graphics. And just about hiring and outsourcing and things like that. I mean, you saw probably a pretty immediate return on investment when you ended up hiring that graphic designer to create one of those initial infographics that resulted in 20,000 people on your email list. That single blog post probably paid for itself many times over. So there is a return there, but it's probably less expensive than people think to you know find a graphic designer that can work on a retainer or work on an hourly basis. So I would agree 100% with that. As far as research goes... Do you, are you researching mostly based on like the content that you're trying to create? I'm sure it has a little bit to do with that, but then also is there any sort of like search engine optimization aspect to it as well? Yeah. So I think with the search engine, we do now finally do, you know, we have an SEO process in place. We are looking at keywords as we write up that blog post, right? And then we're making sure to tag that image correctly mm. so that the search engines know what it is. Okay. And so for us, yeah, I think now that we have a better understanding of all of that, we are better about the keywords, but that's more from the blog post side of things versus the infographic, right? So yeah. So, that, you know, a lot of times we have to make sure that the blog post has the information that the infographic has because the infographic, you know, the te- that text isn't scannable by by Google. At, yeah. at least not now. I'm sure it will be in a year or two. But right now we try to make sure that that blog post also reflects the information that we have, we want to convey as well as capturing all those keywords within that blog post. Yeah, because I imagine like more so than probably a lot of people who are listening, your industry is probably much more competitive when it comes to you know, ranking for different keywords. So much so. Like, yeah, if you want to rank for easy weeknight chicken recipe, forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) Someone else has got that already. Yeah, there is a lot of food content out there. So it is hard. So we have to be, either be really niche about it, which actually helps with the infographic part of things. Because people are looking for like, you know, when when people are doing graphic searches, which a lot of people are doing these days, like having something that really stands out and then drives traffic back to your site is really important. Yeah, for sure. And just like the power of Pinterest, I don't know how much of like Pinterest referral traffic makes up of, you know, kind of the overall traffic to CookSmarts, but I got to imagine that it would be a platform that you all do pretty well on. We do. And so when we create these graphics, we really think about like, how can we get the most out of it? So we do create a Pinterest version, right? So we create a, like a longer vertical version that does well on Pinterest. We create a lead magnet of it so that we can get emails. We break it up because, you know, these are such like information rich things we it's it's hard to digest so then we break them up into smaller pieces that we can then use on social and so we really think about like how are all the different ways that we can take this graphic like and really really make the most out of the work right like how do we really repurpose it in a variety of for a variety of channels so that you know it's not just like a one and done thing we can really make sure that it it jumps in in a lot of different channels yeah but that's so important too because it, it probably takes a pretty good amount of time in order to create an infographic or put together the content for a blog post so it's I think it's just so valuable you know in the ways that you split it up to extend in the life of that content but then also be able to distribute over you know any channel that you want to yeah exactly one of the things we've we know that's changed a lot is we you can't boost an infographic the way you could on Facebook anymore just because it's you know our infographics have a lot of text and so mm-hmm. you know making sure to also having some sort of like semblance, you know, of the infographic on Facebook. So you can you can use it on a Facebook ad or something so that it can still be promoted on Facebook is important as well as you're creating that graphic. So what are the other kind of 
pieces of assets you need in order to promote it. Yeah, awesome. I accidentally cut you off there. You were getting to step five. Oh, so step five really is that that was actually step five, really thinking okay, through awesome. as you're, you know, once you got all that content in place, thinking through like when you're talking to your designer, these are all the different formats I needed in. You know, I need one for Pinterest, I need one for the download, the PDF download, so that you are able to really maximize that piece of content. Yeah, for sure. And again, just uh, want to emphasize how important that is. I mean, if you put all that effort into creating the content itself, you want to be able to share it for really as long as that content is valuable. So I think it's important to talk to your designer or if you are your designer to just create some templates. Because like, for instance, like for the podcast, you'll notice that or for people who listen that see a share about it, we have different templates that go on Pinterest. We have different templates that go on Instagram, but it all it's all you know drawing from the same piece of core content. So it doesn't take super long outside of that initial creation of that template for new podcast graphics to be made. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like a lot of it is also thinking about the possibilities for content is endless. And a lot of these stuff were a meal plan service, but not all of our infographics are meal plan related, right? They're like, you know, they're adjacent. They're in that same sort of like area. So really think through like, what are other things your customers might need besides the specific thing that you might be teaching that's still kind of adjacent to what you're teaching. So that can still help them out and drive traffic back to you. Yeah. Why do you think so many people struggle with content creation? I think a lot of it is creatives. We're we're hard on ourselves. We are so, we are such perfectionists. One of the things that has helped me is there was a German filmmaker named Daniel Sachs and he made this really like short, like two minute video with Ira Glass talking and Ira Glass of of this American life fame. He's a creative and he was just talking about like, yeah, people are really obsessed with perfection as the goal, but how important it is just to get started. Like we talked about earlier, like the stuff that you make in the beginning and you know, you have the taste, you know, have the skills, but the stuff you do in the beginning might not just might not be where your expectations of what you want to be are, but you just have to start. Like I said, when I look back at my old plans and I, you know, even after we launched the service, I look back at those initial recipes or those first couple of infographics or blog posts, it's like, it makes me cringe, right? <laughs> I like want to take them down, but I also know like it's important to have them up there just to like recognize that it is an evolution and every day I am, we're all practicing, right? Like there are a few people who are like really masters of what they are doing, right? We're all practicing. I know you just started a Facebook ads company, and it's one of those things like Facebook ads is constantly changing. So like every, you know, I'm like, if you just like waited till you mastered everything, like Facebook would just change everything on you yeah, and then you'd, you'd never have get to started. Start all over. Exactly. So I think really like my mantra these days is really like the practice makes progress and not practice makes perfect. So, you know, we just have to be progressing every day. And I think in creative work, I think that a lot of people also maybe have like a little bit of imposter syndrome too. It's like, well, like what if, you know, do I have what it takes to be a, a coach or in this specific area? But a lot of it really is just the, if you have the desire and you're willing to be a professional about it, that's really all it takes. And just to start and use those initial initial interactions with clients as, like I said, what we did with market research, right? Like we just use that those initial email newsletters out there as learnings so that we could improve. And that has made all the difference. And we're still improving every day our product you know, every year we go through like, what are the things that could really help our clients out, help our members out? And we make those changes. And there's still so many things I want to do. And yeah, it's all about just getting out there and doing it. And I think there's some level of looking back and you should almost want to cringe, yeah. you know, when you look back five years ago <laughs> and, and look at your work, because it, it means that you've made progress yourself. It means that you've come a, a long ways from, you know, where you were. So I think if you are growing, there's always going to be that level of looking back at old stuff that you've done and saying, or maybe at least feeling like, I, you know, I can't believe that's where I was or, you know, I, I just, yeah. just this understanding that, 
you know, you've made progress over so many years. And I think like people really, you know, there's this fear, especially when you're creative, like there's just huge fear of rejection. You know, we are worried that like we put the work out there and people don't respond to it. Like, you know, you put a creative webinar, nobody attends. And I think sometimes that worry really is so, you know, just hinders us from doing everything. And I think for that, like, you know, it's totally okay to worry and it's okay to have fear. But I would take the two-year-old approach. Like I have, I have a two-year-old, a four-year-old and a, and a baby. And I, I look at the kids and they like own their feelings. Like they're so upset in the moment. And then like five minutes later, they're just fine. So it's like, I think it's totally okay to like worry and have that fear and just be like, okay, I'm going to feel this now. And then the next five minutes move on, actually get moving and like sit down and write up the list of things like you need to do to make sure that like you are actually moving forward versus like staying still. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I want to chat about too is sort of a shift in I guess maybe language that you're using or just the the shift that you're making in your own business in 2020, you know, and and you're going to have to remind me it was in my notes or it was in the email that I didn't end up printing out, but maybe like release or there being less mental, the less mental load, yes, labor. Yes. yes. This has been a huge shift for us. I think for us over the last, the first seven years we've been around, you know, we've been marking as like, Hey, we're a way to help you eat healthier. You know, you need, you want to cook, but you don't have the time to plan for meals. Like let us give you these already organized meal plans for you. And over the last four years, I've had three kids. And so I've been pretty kind of just like drowning in like the mental labor of life, right? Like all the invisible labor that so many parents have to do, like managing, like what, like packing lunches, family vacations, Mm -hmm. like meal planning, one one of the big ones, because we have to eat multiple times a day. When you have kids, it just feels like never ending, (laughs) never ending (laughs) list of like, oh my God, like now they need to eat again. Like, what am I going to feed them again? And so I think that's what like Cook Smarts really is. It's like really, yes, we can provide you with meal plans, but really it is like a relief from your to-do list, like to really reducing and lightening that load of yet another thing that like a parent often has to do that nobody really acknowledges. Like, you know, that is real work, right? It takes a lot of mental energy to think about what you're going to cook for the week. And if nobody does that, then the grocery shopping doesn't, you know, work out well. And then the meals don't work out well. And the week just feels really stressful. And so it kind of compounds in that way. And so when someone doesn't do that planning, you know, it results in a lot of, a lot more stress later on in the week. So we really think about ourselves really more about like, let us help you just relieve that mental load. How do we lighten the load for you, reduce the mental energy that you need to take? Yeah, I think that's just such an insightful or such a great insight on y'all's part. You know, ultimately, that's what a lot of us are trying to do, right? Is trying to ease that mental load. I mean, even when it comes to like getting people a website template and getting them set up with a website. And I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces when it comes to that sort of thing. And so how can we kind of take the pressure off people so that, you know, it's as plug and play when they're setting up a template from us. But I don't know, there was something about that line that you included that really resonated with me. Maybe it's just the season of life, you know, also being a new parent where a lot of those things that you're talking about, you know, with kids certainly resonates right now. It just feels like for us to do anything that we want or anything that used to take us five minutes to do now takes us 20 minutes to do. I think uh, uh, a great example of it is just anybody who's ever flown without kids and then has a kid and it has to get on a flight, you know, it's like, <laughs> it is a whole different ball game. So yeah. yeah, I mean, love Jack, love, love my boy, but there's definitely that invisible list just in kind of everything that you're doing throughout the day. There's just that a few extra steps there. So I think that's such a great insight from you all. And, and just in terms of like, from a marketing perspective too, really focusing on, you know, the benefit 
that you all provide people. You know, people are getting healthier if they're using your meal plans. It's it's easier on their day. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's, I think, one of the primary benefits. So I think that's great. Maybe we could wrap up here by talking about some meal planning tips. I know that I could certainly benefit from them. I will say that I am the guy who like, I mean, I like vegetables and all, but I pretty much stick to eating the same vegetables every week. You know, it's broccoli, you know, a couple salad, that sort of thing. But I don't get very, I don't get very creative with things. Yeah. So I would love to learn more about your current challenges, David. So is it, are you bored of your routine? You're kind of stuck in a dinner rut. Do you guys want to introduce more recipes into your life? Yeah. I think, you know, Krista for sure would eat a, from a broader meal plan, right? For me, it's like just easy. Like tacos to me are easy. Yeah. So shrimp tacos, carne asada, chicken tacos. But you know, when you're having tacos four nights a week, Chris is like, please, let's not have tacos tonight, right? <laughs> and then you throw, you know, like we might have chicken and broccoli. Salmon is a, is a staple in there. So it's not necessarily that we don't eat well, but like we probably eat the same four or five meals every single week. If we're going to incorporate vegetables into our meal, it's like stir fry, you know, which yeah. I don't know. And there's nothing – stir fry is a perfect like let's put everything in the kitchen sink type of you yeah. know, meal template. So I we love stir fries. Yeah, so I think really like when I tell people – in terms of meal planning tips, my first thing is – you know, pick the meal planning system. The best meal planning system is the meal planning system you can stick with, right? So it's like if you do something that's like so extreme, that's like really not going to work for you, you're not going to stick with that, right? So I always tell people like the whole, you know, again, going back to practice makes progress. So just start somewhere, right? So if you, your current, it sounds like for you, like you're stuck in a bit of a dinner rut, I would just keep like two to three of those recipes that you are doing that you already like enjoy, you know, the family likes and just add like maybe one or two more each week. Right. I think like mm -hmm. small, that's like a pretty small ask, like just one small incremental change. It's not like, let's just forget all the tacos and put in all these new things that like seem like probably like very undoable for a family with a young kid. Again, like researching for one or two recipes a week isn't that tough. And for us, we have a lot of, I think a lot of folks when they sign up for a meal plan service, the ones that churn, the one that quit really feel like that it's homework or like mm. feel like if they don't make all four meals, like our menus have four meals a week versus five or seven, because we feel like a lot of people just have decision fatigue. Right. So it's like four is a good number for people to start with. So like we've seen like the members that have been with us for like seven years there, they actually choose often just two meals of ours. And then they either bring in two from the archives that they've already made before and know that everybody will love or like they have some standbys of their own. But it's not like, you know, if you don't use the recipes, they don't go to waste, right? Like they're always there for you. And so we tell people like, yeah, I didn't really think about that. It's like better than a HelloFresh or something like that. We, you know, failed. Like we used to use something like, are you familiar with HelloFresh? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it was one of those things where like, if we stop because like two out of four or five of the meals that they send every week, we'd just not be into and felt like all this food's going to waste. But, but what's interesting about what you're doing, right? I mean, you can just keep the meals from previous meal plans, right? And make them at a, a later date. So you have sort of this archive and you have, yeah. you can probably put, put aside favorites pretty yeah. easy. Um, that you definitely want to make again. Yeah, we have a whole collections feature now so you can like collect things that you want to make in the future that maybe won't work for you that week. So like, you know, if you go through the week that you look at the menu, it's like, okay, maybe you just make the two quickest meals and then there's a meal that looks really good, but you know, like you have a really busy schedule next week. So this just doesn't make sense. Save that for like a week when you have a little bit more time or the weekend or something, you know? So we're really flexible. We had actually had a member post yesterday who does, she's someone that doesn't like salmon and she was like really trying to get 
like just like motivated to make the salmon. She posted on our Facebook group being like, like I really want to follow the plans religiously, but I don't like salmon. And someone <laughs> like a lot of people are just being like, why? Then just make it sub something else or like bring in another meal. Like no one is meal plan monitor police being like, <laughs> are you making all four meals? And you're making them with exactly the way that it states. So I think like once people get into our Facebook community and kind of understand like, oh, everybody is using this in a different way. So much about it is like everybody eats differently. Like yes, we all have to eat, but everybody has some people have kids, some people don't have kids, some people work like night shifts and some people hate leftovers. So everyone needs to eat in different ways. So our meal plan service is like, I feel like of all the services out there, the most customizable because we really have listened to our members and understand that like everyone is different. And so, you know, you customize for serving sizes, you can for every meal we have a, and it's a lot of work for us, but it like really makes sense for people is we have a gluten-free paleo and vegetarian version because we have a lot of diet blended families. So like you might have one vegetarian in the family mm. or one paleo person, or you're a family that like wants to eat vegetarian twice a week, but you don't want to be like vegetarian completely. So like we just make all of that possible. And then we also have weekend prep steps for folks that do want to get ahead, but like also assuming that a lot of people don't have that sort of like planning gene in them that can also make the meals without any prep steps. So it just, yeah, it works for everybody. And I think some people, you know, the resistance is like, oh, like I want to have the control over this, but then they're doing something that's still not up to what they, you know, their expectations are. And so I think just give it a try. And if it doesn't work, you can do something else. It's totally fine. Yeah. And you know, another thing, Chris is gluten-free. So that I feel like that sometimes throws a wrench into meal planning because it's like, well, then I would be making something separate or completely separate than maybe what Chris is having and that's not efficient. And so we just kind of default to really safe recipes. I think that like tacos, for instance, like we can get corn tortillas and then voila, it's a a gluten-free meal. So we kind of default to these sort of safe meals. And again, I could probably eat the same thing every day for you know, the rest of my life. But Krista, I know would appreciate a little bit more variety than we have now. And I know, especially on like a vegetable level that I could probably use a little bit more variety in my meals as well. But that's awesome. It sounds like they are incredibly flexible. Where can people go to learn more about CookSmarts? Is this Facebook group a user group? So like, for people to join, would they need to be users of CookSmarts first? Yeah, so people can find out more about CookSmarts just on cooksmarts.com. Remember the S. And then the Facebook group is a user group. But anybody, so when you go to our site, there's a 30-day free trial. So anyone that has signed up for the trial can go ahead and get in the group. And, you know, we make it very easy to cancel because we realize people are busy and nobody, I don't want to be that company that's like, let's try to trick people into like signing up for the service sure. and making it really hard. So like you can cancel before the billing date 30 days and like. Nothing, there's no skin off her back and you can still be part of the Facebook group. And so I think for a lot of people, the Facebook group is so helpful because a lot of us are, especially if you're a creative, you probably are like spending a lot of time by yourself. And I do think that having a community of people that you can, you can talk to about something that's as like mundane as meal planning or, you know, what you're having for dinner, it's kind of actually like really fun. And it's one of the reasons people really love the group. It's like they feel a little bit more motivated when they see other people posting photos of the groups and put photos of their meals. And, you know, the photos, these are not like, these are not the photos you see on Instagram or Pinterest. They're just like really the nor- like this is what re- people's dinners really look like, <laughs> you know, and they're not there's not a food stylist and like perfect lighting yeah. and all that stuff. And I think that really actually helps people makes them more excited to cook than like when they look at the Instagram photos where it feels very much like unattainable. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that we're going to go ahead and sign up for that 30-day free trial. I'll make sure that all of these links are included in the show notes as well so that people who are interested in learning more or interested in signing up for a free trial can go ahead and do that. But thank you so much for taking the time today to share about content creation. Of course. It was so much fun to talk to you. Thank you so much, Davey, for having me on. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.